Welcome to the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast, a show dedicated to modern learning and development with your hosts, Daniel Mendoza and Scott Babcock. It's podcast day. Welcome to the show. This is If You Build It, Will They Learn. I'm Scott Babcock and I am joined by your co-host, Daniel Mendoza. Daniel, how are you doing today? Doing well, hoping we can... Um continue the momentum we got from last week's episode emma uh schindler wood obviously emma from halo was was fantastic so hopefully we can continue that yeah she was awesome she really picked up the show uh made us look good which we always appreciate uh and hopefully the audience liked her uh, too we we promised to try to bring more guests like that on because i think that was a, a good conversation i think it was a lot of fun uh and definitely brought some energy and a different perspective than just listening to us all the time uh talk about the same thing so really excited for that episode and hopefully we carry some of that through today today we're we're switching gears a little bit we spent a lot of time last month talking about creativity uh we want to focus in the month of april on the idea of community and sort of how we bring that together obviously we're not going to abandon creativity as a topic um, but we want to start kind of thinking a little bit differently on our topic sets for the month of april on community so that's our focus for today let's get started okay for our first segment we want to talk about what does it mean when we talk about community uh, in terms of learning and a little bit around why that is such a important part of the learning journey and one of the things i guess we'll just start as a premise is the idea that as humans we're, we're typically pretty social uh beings and we tend to learn a lot from each other so uh, Daniel is a new father who's going through this a lot. And obviously I have two boys that have been through this, but he's learning, I'm sure, every day how young kids, especially, they learn by mimicry. They learn by seeing others do, right? And I think Daniel was telling a pretty good story around um, how his daughter is starting to put together actions with words and motions and really starting to put context behind it. But that doesn't come by accident, really. So um that's really i think kind of the impetus for this is we as people like to learn in groups and we learn from each other a lot and i think that's just a good starting point for us yes yeah, scott on that note um oakley's basically a parrot now um she <laughs> does and says anything that i do but i think um it's it goes back to that kind of concept that you tend to be the average of those people around you uh you tend to learn from you know those around you and and interact with those around you and and um, that allows you to kind of expand your mind. And um, if you have a growth mindset, which is something we've addressed in the past, you can take the information uh, in that environment from around you and, and really figure out, you know, how you can use it for yourself. Um, and I think that's, that's no different than just your work life or, or anything at all. I think that you're able to relate that um, to your, inf- um, to your current situation and find ways to make it your own and then, and then go from there. Yeah, like an interesting example of the way you sort of pick up on stuff, right? And so, yes, Oakley is kind of parroting, but that doesn't stop just because you get older. Uh, as we moved from the the cold of Minnesota and we moved to Tennessee, uh, I was always, I never thought I had an accent living in Minnesota. And the minute you move here, every Tennessean's like, oh, you're from up north. And I'd be like, why? And they're like, well, because you said Minnesota. And you'd laugh because it was very true that like all of your O's get, and you started to recognize it. And with that comes, like, if you live in a place, you start to mimic the people around you. And so now my kids say y'all, they say, you know, I, 
we asked them what they were doing and they said, oh, I've been playing would be what we used to say. Now they say, I've been playing. It became B-I-N instead of B-E-E-N. Um, and so like we, we, we've picked up on these little nuanced things in vocabulary on the way they talk. And that's, that's just because of where they are and they start to pick up on things from other people. And that, that goes beyond, that's obviously a small thing that they, a behavior they've learned or a vocabulary thing they've learned, but these go bigger too, right? So as adults, uh, the same kind of concept, it lives and we, we do it in work environments or school environments where we hold think tanks or brainstormings. That's, that's not just the idea of um, throw a bunch of stuff against the wall. It's that you and I in a room together talking things out are going to start to pick up ideas from each other. We're going to expound on things. We're going to learn together how we might do something better and create ideas together. Um, we tend to do this in groups all the time. Your friends get together and we banter about things at the coffee shop. We start to teach each other little uh, tidbits of information that we get from different places. Um, and those collectively start to get paired together and we build bigger stories and bigger context. I think in general, we're always learning from the people around us. And that that, that sense of community and learning is just sort of innate to the people we are and, and to sort of human beings as a, as a collective group. Yeah, I think it, I think we all thrive on social interaction. I think you led with that, Scott. I think, I think one of the things we're all missing um, in, in the world we live in today, not being in offices or in work environments on a consistent basis is that, that water cooler um, situation. And I think social media and, and other social platforms are able to kind of give us outlets to, um, to interact. But I think that we're constantly finding ways to be social and, and find ways to, to bring together, I guess, a community um, where you can um, interact more consistently. And then, and then on that note, um, I think that you talked about adults behavior, this kind of being a sponge, um, that social interaction is a way that you can start to build a really positive foundation of the values um, of the culture you want within your organization, right? It's, it becomes very contagious. If you have um, those individuals around you, then when you bring new people into the environment, they're innately going to adapt and adjust to that culture. And I know that's something that I deal with, obviously, in a sports environment, um, in an athletics environment, is because, especially in university, you're constantly turning over the players who are in your program. And, and that social environment and that overall interaction is what drives the culture and the communication and, and the information that's in that environment. You, you bring up uh, the idea of being remote and what that does to sort of the social interaction of a group. And I think that's it's a great transition to what we want to talk about next. So let's let's dive right into that. All right. So obviously the world ha has transformed in the last year. And we want to talk a little bit about what the idea of more remote work, more remote living in a lot of cases is doing to uh, sort of this notion of community. And I think there are, there are obvious impacts in the way things have changed, but I think it's also reaffirmed some men mental kind of thoughts and attachments that we might have as well. So we want to talk about both those things. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start with, and a, it, it's a component of um, learning, obviously, but I want to start with like the concept of my kids and they obviously started out the school year um, in remote or in hybrid. And look, some kids are still not fully back in the classroom. Um, my oldest has a friend who goes to a different school, but 
his first live day back in a school was this week. Like that was the first time he'd been back in over a year in a traditional classroom. Um, and it, it's great that we're getting kids back there. And there's obviously a lot of polarizing opinions on just that in general, but I want to just talk a little bit about my kids and my experience. So my kids did remote learning, structured virtual classrooms at home. And one of the things that we've noticed during that time is that while they look, the teachers are, are amazing and there's, they're, they're doing so much with uh, what they have available to them. Um, but my kids having gone back in December, there was a distinct line of demarcation where in January we saw an acceleration of learning in my, and especially in my youngest uh, who's in first grade, he was reading at an accelerated level. I don't mean that on like a grade level, but from where he was in December to where he was in January, it picked up tremendously. His math went up, his communication skills even went up. And I have trouble saying that for any other reason than the fact that he was able to sit with his peers and see how they were doing things and how he could do them better. And there was just something to that social interaction that he was not getting through a computer screen. And so I think for, for me specifically, and my kids have both mentioned, they prefer that way of, they like being around their friends. It's not surprising, um, but they like the group interaction. They like being able to do class projects. And so for me, seeing that live, it, it was such a change on like the day they were able to go back into the classroom. I have trouble seeing any other way to put that than it was the ability to socialize in their learning environment and gain from being able to see things live that really was, was a big differentiator. Obviously, there's probably other factors that go into that too. Um, but that was the one I think I can point to the most as being an isolated kind of variable uh, that really moved the needle. And I think it's been great for both of them to get back in the classroom. And I, I think a lot of kids are going to see that uh, be a, a, a change factor for them. I think a big part of that for me is is the aspect of sharing. I think we've all been on um, you know, online meetings, video conferences, Zoom meetings, whatever. I think I feel like Zoom has like, you know, capture the brand on that. Zoom meeting means they're like the Kleenex. Anything is a Zoom meeting now. Um, but you get on these calls and and it is it is disruptive almost at times to put take yourself off mute and hop in the conversation because there's that little bit of delay. Whereas when you're in person, there's a lot more natural sharing and interaction. And I think that's especially in the, you know, a young kid's social, you know, classroom. I can imagine like the nerve that someone may have of, or just being anxious about it or nervous about it, of taking yourself off mute to ask a question that you don't even know if it's dumb. Let's say kids use that phrase, dumb question all the time. Like, but in, in person, they may bring it up in front of their friends and be able to interact about it, or they can go to the teacher on the side and ask the question. And I think that that, that applies right back to just, you know, what we deal with every day in terms of client meetings, in terms of, um, social cues and, and visual cues and verbal cues and all of those things, which allow us to learn and grow and, and react, um, as a whole. I think that if I take all of that and look at my day to day and how I, I learn and grow myself, um, I'm in sales. That's where I spend majority of my time in the, in the day. And, and the weirdest thing over the past year has been all of my product demos or pitches being virtual most of the time with people off camera, right? So I really have no indication of whether or not they're, they're interested, they're interacting well. Um, and I used to do pitches online too, but there was a lot of them that were in person. And when you have no visual cues or anything like that, it's very hard to adapt. It's very hard to listen. 
and providing more social kind of demo style pitch. So um, overall, I think that that transition has caused us to not grow and share and interact as much as we normally would, which allows us to just continue better ourselves based on the influence of others. And look, from a classroom perspective, that's that's another side for teachers, right? So teachers have the ability, if you're a facilitator in a, in a professional classroom, if you're a traditional elementary school teacher or high school teacher or anyone who's standing in front of a group of people um, and trying to get them to learn or uh, acquire knowledge, one of the things that you typically do is you do you look at body language and you can say, hey, Timmy or Sally or whoever in the back of the classroom is looking confused uh, or they're easily becoming distracted and they're staring out the window. The problem with these Zoom meetings, and again, Zoom being just the, the kind of typical video conference terminology, I like you know the scotch tape or iPod or, or uh, kind of notion of the past, that that becomes the terminology for all products. So it's not, we're not bashing Zoom. I want to make sure that's very clear. But um, is that, you know, there's only so many windows that you can see faces. So if you've got a class of 15 or 20 kids and you can only see 10 at a time, there's five kids who are off camera that you can't tell if they're missing a, a concept or if they started playing with Legos, by the way, that was my son, uh, caught him just messing around on the floor playing with Legos and he was off camera. So his teacher didn't see it. Um, like those are real things. Whereas in a classroom, you, you can see all of the kids at once cause they're physically there. And so I think that is, that's a very big thing for it. You're getting better guidance from your teacher because your teacher can be more uh, aware of what's happening as well, just by having you physically in the classroom, which helps you understand some of the social norms or learning norms that come along with it. And I think that's a big deal as well uh, in terms of just success. One more thing that I do want to talk about too is, uh, and this is sort of where I think we've seen some some strides. Uh, some really good things have actually come out of this and we've seen it in a work shift. Uh, the way we think about the way you do your job is you can be more remote. You have more options to do, do work, uh, do your job the way or during the times or in the place where you want to be. I think we're seeing more of a shift in the thinking on learning itself that way too. We're allowing people to learn uh, on a more self-directed path. We're letting them see more e-learnings. We're letting them uh, kind of control their own destiny, if you will, as opposed to maybe forcing people into a lecture hall or uh, into that classroom environment as often. Like we're giving them some choice. I think that's a good thing. Uh, as someone who historically never enjoyed lecture hall type settings, I, I would get bored 20 minutes in. I could you know, actually see my note-taking deteriorate over the course of an hour-long class. Um, I think the ability to have those options is a good thing that's coming out of this. And I think there's a more openness from sort of the L and D community to say, people may want to see the content in a different way or access it in a different way. And we're allowing that to happen because of the circumstances. And I think we're seeing good results typically from that on some levels. So one of the things we always focus on in our, in our podcast is that we want you to be able to think of ways to take action on this, right? So we, we've sort of set the groundwork on what we think community means in the learning space. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the changing circumstances and the climate in the last uh, year or so, and, and what probably is going to stick around for at least a little bit longer. And, but now it's, what can you do? How do you maximize on some of the ideas of community uh, in your, in your day to day, whether it's for your job or your school or whatever that is. And so we want to just give some ideas on things you can think about uh, as you take this forward. So, uh, Daniel, like, do you have a, 
what what's one thing that you think someone can do to really bring the idea of community to life in in your day-to-day work i love the quote um and and actually first off i want to say that like number one community and collaboration should definitely be part of your learning culture i mean i'm not uh the learning culture um guru but i will say that it definitely should be part of it it's 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 influential so um but on that note i i love the quote and i can't remember who said it so maybe we'll post it on uh, social media afterwards but i love the book be the person in the room to to speak last right and it's not in the essence of of like get the last word in it's in the essence of listen first and i think that that's one of the things that i will always encourage others to do so if you're in a role an lnd role or you're in a managerial role when it comes to training listening to those around you and what their needs are and and then being able to relate them back to the objectives um or whatever or, you know whatever you have involved so the thing for me is is that listening really sets the tone for your community because you as a manager or someone in a leadership position is able to show the people around you that you're willing to listen and adapt and create an open collaborative community style environment, which allows for the appropriate amount of interaction. Yeah. I think that's, that's, I mean, solid life advice too, right? Like it, it's, it's learning for sure, but uh, just solid life advice is uh, Should I, I be the a life coach? version of that is w- we all have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? Like listening is twice yeah. as important as speaking. Um, I think that's the other version of some quote I've heard, but I, like I love that tone uh, in terms of community. Like it is, it is a dialogue. I love bringing that, giving people a voice. Um, one of the things that I think I'm going to go more technologically, like what what you can do in your in your L and D space is, do you have the right tools? Whether that's a learning platform, um, we've spent quite a bit of time on LMS versus LXPs, and uh, the ability to have experiential components to your to your environment, but do you have opportunities to bring community forward? That could be something as small as just uh, the ability to comment on courses or to rate a course, to give your users a voice in the platform itself. And there is a natural sort of, uh, we'll call it an endorphin rush or an adrenaline rush that comes from just having your content liked. Um, we were talking about it just before the podcast that we, you know, we go out and uh, we, we've been posting stuff on TikTok, some fun videos and things. And like, it's fun to see that you get likes and, and can we get a couple more on this one than we got on the last one? Uh, there is some value to just that energy that gets built up by being able to uh, contribute to a community and dialogue together uh, and share your experience. I think that that in and of itself can be really helpful. And that, so do you have the technology in place that allows for those kind of moments to sort of be organic and built in? Um, and look, that's a culture that we have inherently everywhere we go. Uh, I can't imagine I'm alone. Maybe I am. That when I shop on Amazon and I'm debating between one, you know, item one, item two, item three, that all will do the same thing. Like I'll, I'll go start reading reviews. I'll read what people wrote. I'll see what the average uh, ratings is. I, I am someone who loves to go read all the one stars and see is this someone who's just complaining about it because they couldn't figure it out, or is this really a product problem? Right. Like I'm, I'm taking feedback from those, those folks. Um, I think, I think that's we, we do it with, I think even content, right? So if you're on Netflix, you. you you want to know what the Rotten Tomatoes score is on a movie before you watch it. And, uh, and it's at least a guide. So I think we always take feedback from our communities to try to guide our own decisions and things like that. And our, the technology you have will help support that in many ways. Yeah, I think that 
I mean, we all do this, Scott. I think I don't think you're alone, or at least not on this uh, this podcast. In terms of the reviews, I think you know we do that when we, you know, whether it's Yelp reviews or, or TripAdvisor or other things like that, which which help guide our our life decisions. I think when when you book a restaurant, you always go down and look for reviews when you're in foreign cities. I know that when when we travel, that's fun. That's a fun thought. When we, <laughs> that was an idea. We, we used, did once. Yeah, that that was cool. Uh, no, when we used to travel all the time for work, I'm in different cities looking for restaurants to take clients to or whatever, like those reviews are, are your guiding principle. And I think we use the, those interactive tools so much in our, in our daily life. I mean, obviously social media as a whole, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera. But then you look at um, Yelp and TripAdvisor and, and all those social platforms Um and then you start to ask yourself, like, why why don't we take those same mannerisms and use them towards reaching our goals and objectives? Because it's the same characteristics that allow us to grow. And I think that you can use those listening style communities, those open forums, those open discussions, community feeds to allow people to provide feedback on content in a, in a safe, safe, respectful way. Um, I think that all of that allows uh, you to foster um, a great experience. So whether it's a virtual event or an LMS that you're using for your organization, like making sure that it's not just a push of content, but you allow people to step in and give their own feedback and interact with the content or interact with the people in the platform. So you're creating a community. And, and I think that if you, if you look at what's successful in the market in, in, in the digital space, um, in all those applications that we use on a day-to-day -day basis, taking those familiar behaviors and relating them to your culture can help you be have a successful community. Um, just the stuff you kind of leaned on, um, that collaboration is, is so key. I love collaboration as an idea too, when we think technology, and I don't, I don't see a lot yet that really supports this uh, kind of globally or, or commonly. I'm not saying there aren't platforms that do this, but this notion of being able to put cohorts together or to be able to allow for group work in your platform, uh, I think is a, is a cool, way that I, I, I mean, again, I'm reading tea leaves and, and uh, I like to think I know what I'm talking about and hopefully I do. Um, but I, I see that as somewhere that the industry is going to end up going is how do we let the notion of social media and social learning really start to impact our platforms that enables folks to uh, collaborate together on assignments or to collaborate together on training so that they are doing things like teachbacks or they are contributing in a way that lets them dialogue through a, uh, an idea and have a brainstorming or a whiteboarding session to really come up with new ways of thinking. Um, I, I want to see more of that in platforms in the future because I, while I, there are definitely things that, from a group work perspective when I was in college that I didn't love because uh, sometimes it's one person doing a lot of the work. I think the technology behind it lets you see who's contributing and can uh, almost sway or, or scale results based on your ability to participate and contribute to the group and in ways that, you know, isn't just offline. Uh, I think we can do more of that in systems. And I love that idea of collaboration. Um, we're, we're throwing a lot of cliche quotes at you, but the reality is we've, we've all probably also heard two minds are better than one. That's true. Like, you know, it's, it's double the processing power. It's double the ideas. It's double the creativity that ends up making everyone better. Um, and I love, I love that notion that we can collaborate. I think collaboration also exists between uh, mentor and mentee or coach and employee or however you want to look at it. But are our systems allowing for 
a leader of some kind, uh, an expert, a more tenured employee, whatever that is, to have the ability to coach others. And I think we also retain more information the more we teach it out. And those are good things that if your system can allow for it, uh, or if you need to find a system that does allow for it, uh, or whatever that is, uh, being able to foster those relationships where uh, one individual can help another individual grow and develop and gain more knowledge, those are great things as well. Come on, get happy. Well, this has been this has been a fun conversation, I think, and and again, probably less tactical than some of our other sessions, and that's okay. Like we're, we're trying to introduce sort of a concept for what uh, the next podcast episodes will be about, so you kind of know what the month of April looks like. Um, but just a little bit more dialogue this time around things we're seeing, things we want to see more of, um, and just give some of our insights. But it is a podcast, and we definitely want to leave you with the same structure that is a happy, positive mo- note for us to share with the community. Um, I will go first because uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this, actually. So uh, my wife and I, uh, we have a couple guilty pleasure bands uh, that back pre-pandemic, we were able to go to concerts. I think most of us remember that. Uh, and one of them is Maroon 5 for us. We've seen them maybe five, six times in concert together. Love Maroon 5. Well, last night, uh, American Express put on a live show. It was cool. Um, it wasn't at an arena. It wasn't at a big venue. Wish it had been. But they did a live show on online and you we put it up on our tv and my kids have because they've grown up with it uh they know a lot of the songs so they had uh one of them had a screwdriver they were using as a microphone the other one actually had an actual like microphone thing that they had found somewhere in the house a toy and they were jamming out they were dancing they were singing uh and we we're like this is kind of what a concert is like we were very excited to take them to a live event uh someday in the future but um it was fun a family bonding moment to just sit and listen to a live musical performance by a band we, we like a lot. Uh, it was fairly short. It was like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. But uh, they played a lot of great, great songs that we love. Uh, and it was fun to see the kids dancing and pretending to be rock stars for a little bit and just enjoying uh, a live experience uh, together. So that was a little nostalgia brought us back, but uh, just a different experience. We had a lot of fun with it last night. That is fantastic, Scott. I think uh, I think we're all Maroon Five fans here. You know, everybody's got a little man crush on Adam Levine. I'm not gonna lie. You know, I'm just saying. Um, yes, for sure. One one hundred percent. Just saying. Um, no, for me, uh, I uh, wanted to take a quick second um, for my positivity point today. Today is April Fool's Day, or if you're listening not on the day this is released, you should probably listen to on the day release and show some more priority towards the podcast. But uh, April Fool's Day is always a good time to uh, play a prank or two on on your friends, on your coworkers. I know we're not all in the office. Maybe on your wife or your husband um, or your kids. Um, and uh, have some fun with it. Maybe get a good laugh. I know, you know we're all hoping the light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic. Have a good laugh. I think... This is why we started the positivity poem moment back in April was we all needed some positivity in our life. So take some time, um, use April Fool's Day as a time to put a smile on and um, enjoy Easter weekend. Find some find some eggs, Easter egg hunt. There's going to be an Easter egg hunt going down in the Mendoza household. Uh, I'm not sure how Oakley, Oakley's going to be wondering what the is going on. But uh, sorry, is this a family safe podcast? I'm not sure. Boy, oh boy. We'll bleep that out of time. <laughs> no, but April Fool's Day, Easter weekend. I'm excited for a couple of uh, informal, informal holidays to, uh, you know, let go a little bit, relax a little bit, and uh, come back next week uh, stronger and re-energized again. 
That is fantastic. I do remember my kids' first Easter hunt, Easter egg hunts. And yeah, uh, the reality is you, you dangle a little candy in front of them, Daniel. They stop asking questions. It's just the reality. They stop questioning why they're finding eggs on the ground, and they just run with it. So uh, all good. Well, that will do it for us today. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. I'm Scott Babcock. He's Daniel Mendonca, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Join the conversation by emailing us at podcast at haylight.com. Find us on social media at Build It, Learn It, and be sure to check us out on the web at www.haylight.com. That's H-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com.